Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you this morning. If you have joined us the last couple of weeks, you will remember that we have jumped into a sermon series entitled A Disciple's DNA. A couple weeks ago, we looked at what it means to follow under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then last week, Pastor Janet led us through some thoughts around what it means to make disciples. And I'm really grateful for what Pastor Janet shared with us at that time. This morning, we're gonna be exploring together what it means to be what we would call a gathered and sent church and looking at the model that we find in scripture and what that begins to mean for us. So as we get ready to do that today, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. To begin this morning, the very first thing that I want to ask you to do is to take a nice deep breath in and then let it out. One more time, in and out. And if you would, let's do one more, in and out. I wanna ask us this morning to be mindful of this breathing in and out during our entire sermon time together. Obviously, we don't pay attention a lot of the time to breathing in and out, and yet it's absolutely crucial. We need to breathe in and out in order to be alive. However, if we only ever breathe in, eventually we run into a problem. If you think about blowing up a balloon that only takes in and in and in more air, eventually it breaks, it bursts, it pops. Obviously that's not a good thing. But at the same time, again, if you think of a balloon and all the air only goes out, it remains deflated and lifeless, also not a good thing. However, when you have the right tension between the in and the out, that there's enough in but enough has been left out, then we could have what we would describe as a flourishing or the right amount that allows things to move forward in a good way. We need the right balance of the in and the out. If we don't have in and out, what we actually have is a dead corpse, a lifeless corpse, where there is no breath coming in and there is no breath going out. Again, I wanna ask us to take this idea of breathing in and out as a metaphor for our time together this morning and also a reminder of the type of church we are seeking to be. Again, we are in the middle of a sermon series right now entitled A Disciple's DNA. And we are focused on what it means to have the DNA of a disciple of Jesus Christ because we wanna be willing to go wherever the Lord leads us. We wanna be willing to follow wherever the Lord leads us in the days ahead. And one of the ways that we believe that Christ is calling us right now is to be what we would call a gathered and sent church. And in general, the way that we're thinking about this is that when we are gathered as God's people, it's a way to be built up, to be strengthened in the faith, to have deep roots of holiness. We take in God's Holy Spirit within us. 
And at the same time, we are called to be sent into our world, sent into new territories, sent into our communities to connect with new people in nimble and flexible ways, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be pioneers wherever God is sending us, and to go out with the Holy Spirit to connect with new people. So that simultaneously, we have a gathered and sent and in and out focus. And we believe that Christ is calling us in this direction really for two reasons. The first reason is this. This is actually the model that we find in Scripture. So I want to invite you this morning to join with me. I'm going to share from Acts chapter 15, verses 30 to 35. And this is probably a passage you don't hear too often. It's rather obscure in nature, but this is what it says. So the men were sent off and they went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and they were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Now, in that passage of scripture, it does actually use the language of gathered and sent. But out of context, this passage can sound a little, actually a lot obscure. And I wanted to share this passage with us directly this morning because I want to take just a few moments and break this down so that we can understand what's happening here. So I want to ask you to buckle up with me here a little bit, and we're going to jump into this and and unpack it to see what God has in store for us. If you look at the book of Acts as a whole, here's what we discover. It is a description of the Christian movement. And that Christian movement begins in the city of Jerusalem in one spot at the beginning of Acts. But by the end of the book of Acts, we're going to see that this movement has spread into all types of different locations all over the Roman Empire at that time. It is a wonderful picture of a holy movement that is unfolding. And it begins with the risen Christ, Jesus Christ, being resurrected, defeating death, and he appears first in the city of Jerusalem. It's in the city of Jerusalem that the Christian movement, where its roots begin to take root, as in that place, new Christians, both in public spaces like the temple area and in homes, begin to gather and to be formed in different ways. So for example, if you join with me a little bit earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we hear this. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, so again, those public religious areas, and they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So you have the public official spaces, but also homes, private spaces, third spaces where people are meeting. However, what began in Jerusalem eventually starts to spread to other places. And it happened because of persecution. Now, the bad part of this is that persecution was happening. Followers of Christ were persecuted. People were looking for them. They were were pushed out in all kinds of different ways. But the good part of that is that they were pushed out. They were forced out, which meant the Christian movement didn't just stay in Jerusalem. It went to other spaces and places. So again, look with me in the book of Acts as we progress through it here. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So you hear the scattering as a result of the persecution. 
Then if you continue with me in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we hear this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. And in fact, the very first place where we hear that folks are going to be called Christian is not Jerusalem, where this Christian movement really began, but rather out and about, specifically in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So already we have this sense of movement, this sense of going out. And I want us to understand that again, there was this stirring of the Christian movement in the Jerusalem area. And in the Jerusalem area, there was a heavy Jewish influence. The Jews as the chosen people of God in the Old Testament, the way that God wanted to reveal God's self in this world through those people. That was partly happening with the Christian movement, especially in Jerusalem. But at the very same time, as this Christian movement starts to spread out to other places like Antioch, like Phoenicia, these other locations, there's a strong Gentile influence, that is non-Jewish influence. So notice then what we have as this Christian movement starts to take off. Simultaneously, there's a strong Jewish influence and there's a strong Gentile influence. The strong Jewish influence occurred again in places like Jerusalem. The strong Gentile presence happened in places like Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And the reason this is significant is because simultaneously there started to be a strong Jewish understanding of what it meant to be Christian and a strong Gentile understanding of what it meant to be Christian. And it started to create a rift between those two groups because we have Jewish influence and we have Gentile influence. Now the Jewish people of God they took God's law very seriously. They took all the parts of the law very seriously. And part of what the law said in the Jewish understanding was that you had to be circumcised in order to be a God follower. So you became Jewish in part by being circumcised, then you could be a God follower. And for their understanding and their mindset, you could not be a God follower or a Christian without being circumcised. Now, as you can imagine, the Gentiles then come along and they're like, no way, are you kidding me? We do not have to be circumcised in order to follow God. The only requirement for salvation, the Gentiles thought, was to have faith in Christ alone. And they said, we don't need to be circumcised. We don't need to listen or follow that part of the law. And so a rift began to occur between the two. And this is significant. We might not fully understand this, but each side, I would argue, actually had a very good argument to present. For those with a Jewish understanding of becoming a Christian, their arguments would be along these lines. They said the law and the tradition in the Old Testament of God had to continue to be kept. They said to not be circumcised was equivalent to offering a cheap grace. They said it's too easy. You got to do something outwardly to show that you are a Christian. They also felt you would lose your distinctive nature of being a God follower if they took away the circumcision because it was a way of blending too much into the culture if you didn't do that. And they said by demanding for the Gentile followers to be circumcised, it was actually a way for them to maintain some level of control and authority over this growing movement. That was the argument of the Jewish mindset. For the Gentiles, however, this is what they argued. They said if they submitted to Jewish custom first, that would be to negate what God offered them through grace alone. 
They also said to follow Jew Jewish customs was demanding more of following a pagan ritual rather than living into the realities of the gospel and what God offered them through Christ alone. And they believed that their new sign of faith should be baptism, not circumcision. Now, again, you and I may not think this is a really big deal, but for these folks, remember, this Christian movement is just beginning. It's just getting underway. And a rift, such a rift and division is occurring between them that it's threatening this very movement. This is becoming a major crisis because this issue comes up over and over and over again. It is more than a big deal. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's threatening the very fabric of this growing movement. And so they don't know what to do. And so what they finally decide in order to resolve this issue is they say, we're going to call an emergency council together to settle this debate once and for all. And that's what they did. And finally, after lengthy debate and hearing from both sides and people like Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James, finally, this is the decision they come to. They decide that faith is the only requirement needed for salvation, not circumcision, which the Gentiles wanted. However, they also said there needs to be evidence of living a life oriented towards God that rejects the old ways of our life and reflects Christ and not our culture, which was more reflective of the Jewish understanding of faith. In other words, they said there should be no barriers put up for non-believers like the Gentiles to embrace faith in Christ alone, but their lives should then reflect Christ in all that they do so that their life no longer looks exactly like everyone else's around them. Now, I share all that. That's the backdrop to the scripture passage we read here in Acts chapter 15 this morning. Because now what Paul and Barnabas are doing is they are heading off to Antioch to deliver this news that I just walked you through via a letter. You know, they didn't have email. They didn't have social media accounts. And so the way they're delivering this message from the council that I just shared with you is to literally carry it to them via a letter. And what we see here then are the effects of what I would call a gathered and sent focus. Remember what the conflict here has produced. With the gathered thinking, they're saying we have to be holy. And with the sent thinking, they're saying we have to create as few barriers between us and God as possible so we don't want circumcision. And the result of this tension actually becomes something beautiful. The scent focus leads to less barriers to connect with more people saying, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. But the gathered focus reminds everyone, even the new people, if you're gonna be a Christ follower, your life should no longer look like those people around you in our culture. And God's church must embrace both. We have simultaneously a deep commitment to holiness, that inward focus. And we have a commitment to removing barriers to go out, the outward focus blowing out with all people and connecting with all people. Both are needed in God's kingdom. For those gathered in the Jewish tradition, there was a depth of knowledge and tradition that gave them a reverence for God. There was an appreciation of the holiness of God and keeping them in touch with God and going deep in discipleship. But they ran the risk of becoming too inwardly focused of making themselves gatekeepers to God. They, they ran the risk of always following tradition and doing things the way they had always been done, even if that meant alienating other people. They ran the risk of keeping it all to themselves. I would say those folks with the inward focus, the, the gathered focus only, 
they were able to go deep in faith, but not wide. And then those with ascent focus, they were the opposite. They were able to connect well with other people. They were able to remove barriers between them and connecting with them and sharing God in wonderful ways. However, they ran the risk of watering down the gospel. They ran the risk of not living fully into discipleship formation. They ran the risk of being in the culture so much that they became of the culture. I would argue that for these folks, they had the ability to go wide, but they struggled to go deep. The Christian faith flourishes when we can both go deep and wide. When we can go in and out. It's the both and that allows us to flourish. So once more, take a deep breath in. This is our gathered side that lets us dig deep into holy tradition and discipleship and then blow out. That is our sense side that pushes us to new places to connect with new people for Holy Spirit life to flourish. This is the blueprint we find in scripture. And because of that, we need to pay attention to it. And we as a church wanna live into this model as well. Similar to biblical times, we live in a post Christian world. Actually, it's not even, now it's post-Christian. Back then, there wasn't even any understanding of Christianity at all. In our setting today, gone are the days when everybody just automatically knows what it means to be a Christian or wakes up on Sunday morning and comes to church. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think it's always helpful to look to another time in history when the culture also did not know the gospel and how is it shared exactly like what we find here in the book of Acts today, that in a culture that did not know the gospel, we see this holy movement that is simultaneously in-focused and out-focused, gathered and sent. It reminds me of a bridge. You need a proper tension for a bridge to exist. We Christians a lot of times aren't very good with tension. We try to avoid it at all costs, but think about a bridge. If there's no tension, it would literally just hang down in a gully. There would be no way across. At the same time, if there's too much tension for a bridge, eventually it will snap and pull apart. And again, there's no way across. But when there's the right amount of tension, a way is created that was not there before. When there's the right amount of tension, it holds that bridge in place to create a way across where you could not go before the right amount of tension produces a new way forward. I believe that's what we experience here as well with this idea of gathered and sent, that when there's a holy synergy and a holy tension between them, it produces a new way forward, even in a time when increasingly people are not connecting in the life of church. So we live into this model because it's biblical. We also live into this model because today's world is a changing world. It is changing so very much. I could give you tons of examples on this, but the only one I wanna lift up today is one I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago. Literally in the last few weeks, it has been shared that for the first time in decades in our American culture, less than 50% of the American population is currently connected in church membership with a local church. After decades of hovering around 70%, now it is suddenly under 50. So what do we do? This is our reality. How do we live into this culture that's increasingly not connected in the life of the church? Well, I have to say to you, I'm pretty excited. 
because I have spent some time reviewing First Church's history, and one of the ways that this church has always moved forward is with a sense of being faithfully innovative. Way back when, when, the, when First Church was beginning, one of the original decisions that it made, or at least early on, is it made the decision to offer worship services in English rather than in German. And it was understood that English was gonna be the language of the future. So this church said, in order to connect with as many new people as possible, that's what we're going to do. I would call that being faithfully innovative. And since that time, this church has taken one faithful and innovative step after another. It's offered multiple worship services. It's offered different styles of worship. It has built a CLC. It has offered worship online via live stream. It has offered the Axe Network. It is committed to offering pre-recorded expressions of worship, one innovative step after another, and each time doing it in order to faithfully and effectively share the gospel in a world to take down as many barriers as possible to meet new people. However, if we're not careful, we can fall into the same struggles as those here in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. For those of us who are used to gather church on Sunday morning and meeting in person in our sanctuaries, it can be very easy to look down or discredit the sent side of who we are. To say it doesn't make sense in my mind how faith communities can ever meet on a rugby field or in a home or in a pub or any place like that. And it can be easy for us to say because we take God seriously and because we want to look different and be different and we want to be holy and we don't want to look like the rest of the culture, it can be too easy to say these other groups blend too much into the culture. At the same time, for those of us who love the sense side of who we are, for whom it is natural to go to a rugby field or join in a swing dancing group or do yoga for Christ, for us, we have such a desire to be nimble and flexible and to get into the crevices of society and meet with people there, we can easily think, why is the other, the gathered side of who we are, why is it acting so institutional? Why is it staying there on its own turf? Why won't it get out here and connect with other people in powerful and significant ways? And I want to invite both of us this morning to say and recognize the strengths that each one brings. To, to not say it's only me and my way, but to say instead, we seek to simultaneously be a holy people going deep in God and going out and removing whatever barrier we need to, even being willing to meet people on their turf in order to share the love and the grace and the holiness of God with people wherever they are. That is who we wanna be, an in and out church. Now, I want to be really clear with you today. I am the product of the gathered church, and I am so grateful for that. It has had such an impact on my life. And yet I also know that if we don't mobilize ourselves to get out to where people are beyond Sunday morning, to join them in the rhythm of their lives wherever they are, if we don't quit demanding that they come only to us, we will completely miss an incredible opportunity that God is presenting to us. This becomes our goal, church, to again be faithfully innovative, a church of in and out. Because on the gathered side of who we are, we love the strengths of the stability, the strong formal discipleship, the comprehensiveness of ministry, being highly visible in our community, offering the strengths of centralization, and at the same time, the sense side, the outside of who we are. We celebrate the strengths of being nimble and informal discipleship that we engage in and the specialization that occurs in ministry, getting into the crevices of society and celebrating the decentralization 
evangelization that can happen among us. See, one sharpens the other. A powerful synergy emerges to create a way forward where there was not a way forward before. As we begin to move forward, I wanna ask us to think and to pray about how is God inviting us to move forward? And more specifically, what is my part in it? God, how are you inviting me into what you are doing in this gathered and sent focus? This is why, as we are starting to move forward, you will remember we've been putting out information starting next week, May the 2nd, we are offering a worship relaunch. That worship relaunch is totally in line with everything we've been talking about here this morning, to offer a gathered and sent approach, a gathered and sent DNA together, so that this will become more and more who we are moving forward. And so you know at this point, starting on May 2nd, next week, We'll have a 9 a.m. traditional worship experience in our sanctuary and an 11 a.m. contemporary worship experience in our, in our sanctuary and in between a worship or excuse me, a social hour to connect. And starting next week, May the 2nd, on the first Sunday of the month, we'll be sharing in a brunch experience at that 10 a.m. time. That offers a lot of the strengths of the gathered side of who we are. We're also going to be offering online experiences at 9 a.m and 11 a.m. And at the same time, we're gonna be offering experiences still in our homes, church on the mountain, rugby, uh, yoga, in our Axe Network experience, which get much more at the scent side of who we are. And we're gonna dive all in, in both, gathered and scent. And I just wanna to say to you, church, thank you for being this kind of a church. Thank you for your willingness to be an innovative, faithful church. Thank you for being a church willing to say, we will do whatever it takes to simultaneously honor God and be a holy people and meet whoever we can, wherever we can, whenever we can on their turf and see what God does with that so that again, in this day, this age, a holy movement might emerge. Today, here's my question for you, church. How is God calling you to grow? By going deep or going wide? Deep or wide? All of us have a natural bent to either be gathered or sent, to focus on the inward side or the outward side. But which one today does God need to work on in your heart? And which one would you say, Lord, help me in this way. Help me to grow deeper or help me to go out, help me to go deeper, or help me to go wider. And I just wanna ask you to really begin thinking and praying about that, and then here's my follow-up question to you. Will you start thinking and praying about not only which way do I need to grow, but which way will I begin to invest? Will you make a commitment in your heart to join with us in growing deeper in our gathered side, or taking a step of faith to join with us in being sent out into our community? Would you begin seriously praying about that? And we're gonna have follow-up on that in the weeks to come. Deep or wide? Which is it for you? I don't know how many of you know this, but on January the 20th of, two, of this past year, of this year, 2021, a star was born, or as many commentators noted, a supernova. Now, by this point, I'm sure many of you have heard the name Amanda Gorman. It's becoming an increasingly familiar name. She seems to be everywhere these days. She even made a Super Bowl appearance. Amanda was the 22-year-old American poet and activist who was chosen to deliver the spoken word 
in a poem called The Hill We Climb at the recent presidential inauguration. For nearly six minutes, she captivated a nation. And in a time of great political divide, she drew near universal praise for her inspiring deliverance and words. Her performance was powerful, electrifying, and moving. She offered hope literally to millions of people. And it seems people haven't been able to listen to that poem and spoken word without being deeply touched and moved. Now, here's what I've wondered as I've listened to Amanda and when I originally heard her deliver that word. How did she do it? She did not seem to use most of the common ways that we use to captivate people. For example, there was no music to her words. There was no highly choreographed dancing. There were no pyrotechnics. There were no technological gymnastics. There were no special effects. There were no circus features of any kind. How did she do it? How did she capture people's hearts? She, she just offered words. So what was it that was so inspiring about them? Now, granted, she is a talented individual. She's an exceptionally articulate young woman and her performance itself just in delivering the spoken word was inspiring, but it was more than that. In interviews, Ms. Gorman shared she had prepared for her performance by mixing together three different elements. One, she says, I dove in. She said, I did a deep literary dive. She began examining other great orators of the past like Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, and she listened to other previous inaugural speeches. And so she took some of that language from the past and her listening to the language of the past gave her own words a depth and significance beyond themselves because they were anchored in these great traditions of the past. Secondly, though, Amanda said that she looked out. She didn't just look in her own traditions or the speeches of the past. She said she actually began listening to the context of current day. She started to even take words from some of her favorite musicals like Hamilton by Lin-Manuel Miranda. She said in her speech, she even used real-time tweets from other people that she had been listening to and heard. So she mixes in contemporary language to give relevance to what she is sharing and gives relevance to the power of the past and what she'd been doing and studying the traditions of the past. And then she says, thirdly, she did a remix of the two. She mixed together the power of the past tradition along with the contemporary relevance of the words today and it produced an inspiring synergy of a both and approach so that when Amanda Gorman took that state at the inauguration, she was willing to offer both the excellencies of her craft from the past and today, and willing to experiment in new ways that allowed this intertwining of the two to be presented that left most of the world or most of our country at that time speechless in many ways. Do you hear what she did? Old and new, depth and relevance, both and, deep and wide, established and experimental, gathered and sent, in and out. And the result touched the souls and lives of so many. As followers of Jesus Christ, under the Lordship of Christ, committing to making disciples of Jesus Christ, may we be such a church today, a church that is gathered and sent.
for the glory of God. Amen.